Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of the Adventure Jogger Podcast brought to you by Marathon Costume Chick, Mailman Steve... Steve Dunn, Mary Cates, and all of our Patreon supporters and listeners. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Buckle up, everybody. This is going to be an intense, awesome episode of The Adventure Jogger, and it all starts with a question. Can we make our bodies bulletproof against injury? Can we do certain things to prolong our love and our life of running and help us run pain-free for a longer amount of time? Is there a way, too, for those folks that we know in our lives that can't run, that had running taken away from them because of pain, is there a way to correct it? And is it as simple as fixing the way you walk? Rick Olderman is my guest on this episode of Adventure Jogger, and Rick has been a PT, a physical therapist, for over 20 years, and what he has learned through 20 years of working with people, dealing with pain, working with runners through injuries is absolutely fascinating. It's going to change the way you look at your body, and I hope there's some things that Rick throws out that you try, and there's some ways that... You can even fix the way you walk, which will make you a faster runner, which will lead to uh, a lifelong love and pain-free world of running. Really fascinating stuff. RickOlderman.com is his website. He has a series of, of books called Fixing You on there. There's videos on there. He's got a new book coming out called Solving the Pain Puzzle. A really fun conversation, a mind-blowing conversation about pain, about the body, about things we can do to be better at running, to, to run injury-free. You are going to love this episode of The Adventure Jogger. Rick, I've been getting requests for, God, months to have a physical therapist on. And it is so awesome that, you know, our, our paths kind of crossed. And I think you're going to teach a lot of things to some people who really uh, need to hear them today. So, Rick, I really do appreciate you taking the time and, and jumping on with me. Oh, I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank so, you. 
Well, let, let's start at the beginning. You've kind of had 25 years of a career exploring the avenues of pain, what causes it, how can you get rid of pain, helping people, you know, uh, live a life without pain. What kind of sent you on that journey of being the guy who wants people to live in no pain? Yeah, well, uh, my failures as a physical therapist is what led me there. (laughs) So so my first job out of PT school was in a sports and orthopedic clinic. And, uh, you know, with the information I was taught in PT school, uh, I could help people with sprains, strains, post-surgery, all that kind of stuff. But any kind of chronic issue, it was hit or miss whether I could help them. Mm -hmm. And I felt I should be better than that. And so... You know, it's actually sent me, Ryan, into a deep depression for years because I just thought I was just a failure. And it wasn't until I moved to Denver and got a job at a elite sports, you know, you know, health and fitness center here. And when I joined, I was immediately, uh, you know, my schedule was immediately filled with people with chronic pain. Yeah. And these were young people with well-to-do access to all physicians great health insurance. I'm just like, holy smokes, it's not just me. You know, yeah. it's the whole, it's our whole field is not serving these mm-hmm. people. So really it was based out of necessity. You know, how, how could I feel good about what I'm doing if I can only help some people, but not others? That has to be so hard. Cause you, I'm sure when you went to college and you're like, I'm going to be a physical therapist, I am going to help people. I am going to lead them to a world of no pain and to see these roadblocks and to see these people coming back and back and back yes. still in pain had to be like, well, what did I spend all that time in school for? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was at a real crossroads and it turns out how we're taught in physical therapy is not really helpful for chronic pain conditions. Yeah. So how we're taught in physical therapy school is what I describe as a component approach, mm-hmm. which means that we, we have a million tests to identify exactly which tissue is damaged but there are zero tests teaching how that tissue got damaged or why. Mm-hmm. And that is the, that is the, you have to understand that in order to solve chronic pain. Cause it's not just like, Oh, I fell and hit my arm and now I've got this bruise or this tear or something. That's not how chronic pain happens. And so there was this big gulf between what we were taught in anatomy and physiology and you know, what was happening with treating pain. Right. There, there was no connection. Was there, when you moved to Denver, you go into this elite sports physical therapy practice. What was the first breakthrough for you where you're like, oh, this is leading me down the right path to solving the pain problem? Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't an elite sports physical therapy practice. It was actually a health club, an elite health club that hired me yeah. to be their physical therapist. And so I was also became a personal trainer and Pilates tra- instructor there because mm-hmm. I, I kept looking for answers in all different places. And that's what led to those certifications. But, I, you know, once I realized, you know what, it's just going to come down to me trying to figure this out. That's when I just kind of stepped back because I realized what I was taught in terms of treatment wasn't really helping many people. And so I just st- decided to step back and start observing and that's when I started, for, you know, just a case in point, you know, uh, some people would come in, say, with back pain. And, you know, we're taught to, you know, you have to have this erect spine and strong core and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, all this when you're lifting and walking and all this kind of stuff. 
But what happened with them is that once I started observing them, I would see them slumping in their chairs. I'm thinking, why are you doing that? And they said, because it feels really good for my back. And I'm just like, well, well, gosh, that's the opposite of what we're taught. And so I just started observing these people, asking them why they're doing what they're doing. And the answer was because it felt better. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started rethinking how we're supposed to be moving and using our bodies. And so that led me on this whole search about, you know, uh, you know, following different researchers and, and understanding and putting all this information together. Was it, did you learn the world you let me think of the best way to phrase this what you were taught in school was it the byproduct of observations of an obsolete world and as we transition into a more sedentary society where not a lot of us are going out and doing backbreaking work every day a lot of us sit in an office chair and are doing less hard work uh, than, than our parents' generation, especially our grandparents' generation. Did you find a little bit of that? Maybe it was just a the observations that led the treatment that you were taught to give were outdated because people weren't moving that way anymore and weren't living that way anymore. You know, that's a great question and a great observation. But really what it, what it was about uh, was it's – the gold standard in all medical programs is to have an evidence-based practice. Mm-hmm. So you have to have research supporting everything that you do. So that's why our we're drilling down into more component thinking is because in order to conduct a double-blind study, you have to isolate one variant. Mm-hmm. And you can't, I, you can't do five variants, otherwise there's too many variables and you can't you know, identify a cause and effect, right? Yeah. Well, if we're always drilling down into one small thing, there's nothing that's putting everything back into the system. Our body doesn't work as one small thing. It works as trillions of small things and gradations of movement, genetics, you know, exercise history, all sorts of things. So this is why I've developed the systems approach to solving pain is because our bodies work as a system not as a component. And so this is, so component thinking is great for passing a national board exam. Right. And we have to do that, right? So that learning has to be like that. I don't blame the schools for not, for teaching like that because that's the way the national board is. But once you get out in the real world and uh, really start treating patients, you understand that that thinking uh, has a lot of holes in it in terms of solving chronic issues. And I, you know, I've trained lots of therapists at my clinic. I wouldn't let any therapist work at my clinic unless I trained them. Right. And so all of this information, the systems thinking was new to every single one of these therapists who were recently trained in all a broad swath of schools across the nation. So it's not just my school. It's interesting you bring this up because I, I have been saying to my son, he's a college cross country runner and he's been having some knee pain and that sort of thing. I think just... You know, when you transition from high school athletics to college athletics, there is a huge learning curve and your body is being asked to do things that it's never done before at a level that it's never been done before. And so sometimes you bend, sometimes you break, but I've always told him it's always something else. Your knee doesn't hurt because your knee is messed up. Your knee is hurting because your quads are weak or or some some muscles around it are not it's overcompensating for a weakness somewhere else. I always tell them it's always something else. 
leading to that pain. And it's funny because the physical therapist at the school said, well, your dad, your, your dad, I don't know. He's a podcaster. I don't know if he knows much about pain, but it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying that it's, you can't really just, oh, my knee hurts. Okay. We got to fix the knee. Your knee hurts because there's an imbalance. You're doing There's something else causing that knee pain. Yeah, typically that's the case. And uh, you should be a PT, Brian. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> but, yes. Uh, well, you know, the knee is the vulnerable body that's experiencing the effects of a systemic breakdown. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it happens in almost all areas in relation to chronic pain. Now, if your son was running and then twisted his foot and then hurt his knee, well, then, okay, yes, you probably have more damage. And so component thinking is great for more acute issues, mm-hmm. right? But if, they, if they're chronic issues, usually there's a systems component that, that you're missing. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. One of the things I wanted to ask you about before we get into the real runner aspect of it is there are some people that maybe have been told and they're not listening to this podcast, but if someone's listening to this podcast and they know someone like this, point them in the right direction. But there's people that have had running taken away from them because of chronic pain. Is there paths to coming back to that joy to coming back to running? If you have, if you're a person that deals with chronic pain. Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the people that we treat in our clinic, right? It's just, you know, they were marathoners, ultra marathoners, triathletes, runners of, you know, recreational runners, you know, who developed chronic issues. Well, invariably it was a systemic breakdown. Mm -hmm. And so for instance, I, I've broken the body into two different systems of of function. One is the low back and pelvis and lower body. And the other is the pelvis and upper body, everything above it. Okay. So uh, during the exam, we look at everything. So if you come in with plantar fasciitis, we're starting at your rib cage and we're looking all the way down the whole chain on both sides of your body. You wouldn't believe how many times I've talked to other therapists. They're just like, they've someone comes in with left plantar fasciitis and they're just like, you're testing the right side too? Why are you doing that? I'm just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it could be a compensation pattern, you know, you don't know you, you, and you don't even know what to compare to if you don't test both sides. So it's, it's really, it, it kind of blows my mind sometimes. Uh, but anyway, so uh, that's why uh, runners can return because usually what they're missing is this systems approach to understanding, oh, well, this thing in the hip is what's contributing to that knee issue. Oh, and down here at the foot too. And so let's go ahead and solve these two things as they feed into the knee and let's get you back into running. And that's pretty much how it's done. It's it's actually quite simple once you understand a systems approach. I have to imagine that, you know, when you first got out of PT school and you were you know, just doing what you were taught, you talked about that frustration of not being able to solve people's problems. When you had this systematic approach, you almost go from just a person telling you to do these exercises. Okay, your knee hurts, do these knee exercises. You're almost like a detective. Like you are bringing the person in and you are looking for all these little clues that could lead to the real cause of this. That has to be just absolutely a blast at your job to have somebody come in in pain and just be a detective and figure out, okay, what's really causing this? It's deeply deeply satisfying for me and so i've got another a new book coming out ryan mm-hmm. and in the introduction i actually you know talk about sherlock holmes 
And if you read any of those stories, you know, he makes these crazy assumptions from these clues that seem to have nothing to do with what he's talking about. And then he explains the connection. And it's just like, oh, well, that's obvious, you know? Right. You don't see how obvious it is unless you're taught how it's all connected. And so that's, I feel, what we're missing in our in our teaching a lot. And this is what a lot of patients are missing in terms of their chronic pain, is that no one's putting things together for them. They're not solving that mystery. By the way, the, the, yeah. the book is called Solving the Brain Puzzle. That'll be out in 2023, right? Yeah, Solving the Pain Puzzle. It's pain Puzzle. Yeah. I wrote that down yeah. wrong. Sol- solving the Pain Puzzle is coming out in 2023. Was there a, a case that you can remember where you know somebody came in and there was a pain issue and and you discovered a cause that was just something you had never even thought would be the cause of that issue that was causing them so much pain that i had never thought would have yeah. been the cause yeah there's there's one story in there of actually knee pain and uh a discovery i made about the knee that solved these two people's very difficult knee pain issue. One guy couldn't straighten his knee, straighten his knee for years after mm-hmm. a meniscal repair, and you know, from had been through a host of other practitioners, no one could figure this out, and we solved it in about five minutes when he came in. So, <laughs> what was uh, the cause? What was what was yeah. going on? Well, there, there it, there's uh, you have to understand how all this fits together again. But yeah. really, what it came down to for him was there's a tiny muscle. There, it's the only muscle in the knee that controls the knee, and it's called the popliteus muscle. And that was in spasm after his surgery. Well, it's so small, everyone ignores it. But uh, I had learned, and this story is also told from another patient, how important this muscle was. And so I just did the massage to the popliteus muscle. His knee straightened out immediately and done. And he actually flew in from New York to see me for it. <laughs> so it was a pretty fun one. <laughs> wow. That, and yeah. that that just has to be too when you see somebody who's like, I've been everywhere and nothing. And then they're with you for five minutes and they're like, oh, I mean, you have to, that, that's got to just be amazing. Yeah, it, it's fun. And, you know, five minutes isn't often the case, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it takes, you know, two or three sessions for me to figure out what's going on. But, uh, you know, it's uh, invariably we figure it out and invariably what they're missing is the systems standpoint of looking at things. And uh, I, I just hate to harp on it, but it, it's, I, I mean, this is the comment that all of my therapists made is that I can't believe it's this simple, you know, suddenly chronic back pain turns into a simple thing to solve or chronic neck pain or headaches or things like that. And they're just like, I can't believe this is so logical and simple, you know, right. Why? Why, why aren't we taught this in PT school? And then I go into this whole, well, you'd fail your national board exams if you <laughs> answered your board exams based on this information. So. <laughs> can you can you break down the systematic approach for us in kind of a, we're not physical therapists listening to this. We're, we're runners, we're ultra runners, we're trail runners. Can you break it down in a way that makes sense to the running public? Let me actually give everyone a test to follow. So it's, I always feel it's better if someone can feel the truth rather than just hear it. Right. Once you feel it, you'll remember it and understand it. So I'm going to take you through a little back pain test all right. to help you feel what I'm talking about. So I'm going to ask all your listeners just to lie down on the floor with your legs straight, especially if you have back pain, because what this is going to do is teach you a fundamental issue that's going on in your back that likely you haven't addressed yet. Mm-hmm. So lie down on the floor, preferably a firm surface is better, but if you can't get down on the floor, then go ahead and lie on your bed or your couch or or whatever. 
and your legs are straight. Okay, feel what your back feels like in this position. And now go ahead and bend your knees so your feet are flat on the floor and feel how your back feels in that position. And if you don't feel a difference, go ahead and hug your knees to your chest uh, and, and do that. So one of those two positions, either knees bent or the legs straight, is going to feel better for your back. And Brian, do you have any clues as to what position that might be? Which I'm going one? to say the knees to the chest is probably pain-free for most people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Knees to the chest or even just feet flat on the floor, Yeah, right, with the knees bent. So why is this? Well, if you stay down there on the floor and you straighten out your knees, you'll notice that your back arches a little bit more when your knees are straight and your back flattens a little bit more when your knees are bent. So, you know, you might draw a conclusion, oh, I need to flatten my back more. But really, no, it's not that your shape of your back is wrong. What we're doing when your legs are straight, you've got forces from your legs pulling on your pelvis which then are affecting your low back. When you bend your knees, those forces are removed and your back gets to return back and pelvis get to return back to where they would naturally want to be. And so that's why your back feels better. All right. So think of it as forces are removed from the legs that are acting on the pelvis and back when your knees are, are bent. Yeah. So how does this work in real life? Well, if everyone now stands up and listens to the rest of your amazing podcast, <laughs> All right. And what they'll notice is after they've been standing, uh, after a few minutes, they'll notice that their knees start to lock backwards and straighten. Okay. So even if you're not doing this at this point, go ahead and stand up and, and do this. Lock your knees backwards. And now feel what your back feels like in this position. And now go ahead and now unlock your knees. You don't have to squat. You just need to unlock the knees and feel how your back feels here. And if you're not sure, Go ahead and lock the knees one more time, and you'll feel the difference between unlocked and locked. So when your knees are locked, your back is arching more. When your knees are unlocked, your back is softer. All right? So you just found out on the floor, what have we learned? You've just found on the floor that your back feels better when your knees are bent. All right? We've removed the leg forces acting on your pelvis mm -hmm. and back. Then when, we, and when standing, you've just learned that your natural way of doing things is to lock your knees straight when you're standing yeah. for more than a couple minutes. Well, you just found out that locking your knee straight is causing your back to arch more, right? Yeah. And we found out on the floor that when your back is arched more, it hurts more. So the habit of locking your knees is contributing to your back pain. And so by just simply by unlocking your knees when you're standing and especially walking, I cure so much back pain just with that tiny little tip alone. So these are the things that I figured out over the years is these patterns of dysfunction and then the habits that we're doing that's causing these patterns of dysfunction, mm -hmm. too. For people that don't have pain at this point, who aren't experiencing mm -hmm. injury or whatever, are there ways of using what you've learned to what I would call bulletproof the body for running? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, just because you don't have pain doesn't mean you're perfect. Because our body has so many redundant systems operating in it that overlap and take over. And this all happens subconsciously. So while you have changes occurring, you, what your body and brain are constantly doing are making subtle adjustments to how you're doing things to accommodate whatever dysfunction is creeping up mm -hmm. in your body. So you're not aware of it. And this is why attorneys never like me to be a, a, a witness for a car accident <laughs> after which someone has pain because they can't prove to me that the body was perfect before that car accident. 
Right. You know, right. Because the car accident just exposed the vulnerability that was already in their body, much like the the kid with the knee pain that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Right. So what happens is that that accident deepens the pattern of dysfunction that was already at work in that person. And so now they have back pain. And the same with, you know, uh, everything else is that um, these changes are happening in your body without your knowledge. And you can change them to ward off chronic pain or to solve chronic pain. Yeah. Uh, yes, you can bulletproof your body. What are some things that every runner can do using this approach? Is there, because, you know, there's stretches and what have you. And I know there's discussions about stretching's good, stretching's bad. Um, I have not heard a single discussion about uh, throwing in the occasional weights, you're doing some resistance training. I've heard nothing but great things about that. I've never had anyone go like, nah, you shouldn't You shouldn't lift weights at all. I think us runners would love to believe that because there's nothing runners hate more than going to the weight room. But what are some exercises that a runner can do or things that a runner can incorporate into their weekly and daily routines to start building that bulletproof body? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I... I I'll, I'll answer that question, but I hesitate to answer it because there are no blanket statements. Gotcha. All of my recommendations are based on what I assess. Mm-hmm, and yeah. so without proper assessment, you can't know exactly what you need to be doing, but there are some general guidelines. One of the big muscles that uh, causes a lot of disruption in the pelvis, the back, the SI joint, sciatic issues are the thigh muscles, believe it or not, really? on the front of, fronts of the thighs. Because they attach, they start down here at the knee joint, right? Mm-hmm. And they attach the front of the pelvis here. Yeah. Now, as you can imagine, the thigh muscles are huge. So if they're tight at all, what they're going to do is pull that pelvis forward. Oh, yeah. Which then, which then causes the back to arch more, right? Yeah. And most, most back pain, 99% of it is the type of back pain we just discussed on the floor with, with back uh, when the back hurts, when your back is more arched, that's called an extension problem. 99% of all back pain is due to an extension problem. Why is an extension problem happening? Well, we just talked about locking the knees. Locking the knees pitches the pelvis forward and causes the back to arch more. Yeah. Likewise, tight thigh muscles do the same. And the tight thigh muscles can be asymmetrical. So if you have a right side of thigh muscles that are tighter than the left, you have a right pelvis that's being pulled forward more than the left. And therefore, you introduce rotational torque across the pelvis and the spine, mm-hmm. right? And so another pattern starts to emerge in the body, and that is of a side-bending problem. And that's where the pe- one side of the pelvis is higher and one side of the ribcage is lower. And with that, if you can imagine this uh, at home, that, equal, that creates compression on the one side of the spine. Well, that's where all the nerve roots exit to go down the leg and comprise the sciatic nerve. So... That can be caused by asymmetrically tight thigh muscles. Wow. So that is that is amazing. And people, this is audio, so you can't see, but Rick had a, a little skeleton the whole time and showing. It makes perfect sense when you think about that. So does stretching work in a situation like that? Is stretching something everybody should do to, to lengthen Absolutely. those quad muscles to help from that forward tilt? Absolutely. But But here's the thing. Most runners stretch their quads by standing up and grabbing the ankle behind them yeah. and then pulling the ankle towards the butt. Well, what's controlling your back? Nothing. So if your thighs muscles are tight, it's going to pull that pelvis forward, causing your back to experience that rotational torque again. 
Now, even if your spine doesn't actually rotate, and even if your pelvis doesn't actually rotate forward, it would be like me pushing as hard as I can against your chest, Ryan, and you not budging. Well, just because you're not budging doesn't mean there's not a lot of force acting on your chest. Your body is tensing up to fight that force. And so it's the same when you don't stretch correctly or, you know, you you, you you say, oh, well, nothing's rotating on me. I'm doing this perfect. Right. No, the forces are alone are enough. You don't have to have a pelvis that's actually tilted forward. Just the attempt to try to tilt it forward is enough to call strain and torque across the pelvis and back. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. So it would be like pushing against a wall, you know, as hard as you can. Just because the wall isn't moving doesn't mean you're not pushing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's the same thing with with stretching or forces acting in your body. So the best way to stretch the thighs, actually, is to lie down on a table Mm -hmm. with your legs, uh, knees to your chest. Yeah. Right? This flattens the spine and rotates the pelvis back so your spine is nice and flat, which we just found on the floor feels better for you back. Right. So you hold on to one of your knees and you lower the other knee over the edge of the table with the knee bent at 90 degrees. Okay, so you could, right? you, you could do this on the edge of a bed or the edge you of a- You could do this on the edge of the bed, okay. kitchen countertop, dining room table, picnic bench, you know, top of stairs. I do it at the edge of our front porch on yeah. our house. Yeah. So uh, the key is, is that you have to control the pelvis in the back. If you're not controlling the pelvis in the back when you're trying to stretch this stuff, you're not going to, then you're going to create more situation where it's, you're going to get up from that with pain. So this is why I'm not a big advocate of that you know, grabbing the ankle right behind your butt and stretching that way. It's just, it's not controlling enough things. So you would recommend doing the stretch you talk about probably what, what after every run or at least try to do it daily to kind of loosen that up a bit. Okay. So, so here, here's where that question kind of falls apart, right? So some people have what's called a posterior pelvic tilt mm-hmm. and that's called like a sway back. If you th- can think of a mopey teenager, <laughs> where you're just kind of you see this mopey teenagers just walking around and they're not doing anything posturally yeah that's called a sway back posture gotcha if you have a sway back posture you're not going to have tight thigh muscles interesting and it, but if you have this alert lordotic posture like this then you will have tight thigh muscles so people with sway back postures this thigh stretch won't help you because your pelvis is already posteriorly tilted and the thigh muscles aren't tight. In your case, you might want a little bit more tight thigh muscles to help tilt the pelvis forward. All right, right. Everybody, look in a mirror. Do you when you stand? Do you look like a dopey, like a like a like a teenager, a mopey teenager, a mopey teenager, mopey teenager, <laughs> or RoboCop? What do you look right. like when you stand? Are you RoboCop yeah. or mopey teenager? If you look like a mopey teenager, you don't need to worry about stretching your 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 quads. Because they're they're already probably stretched enough. You need to probably strengthen them a little bit. And then if you look like RoboCop, you're going to have to do that stretch. Yeah. Well, the, the, the mopey teenager, what they need to do is they need to correct their posture. And I can talk about that if you want. But what that does is their pelvis is uncontrolled. And so if they're standing in this mopey way, there's no muscular activity occurring. They're just sitting on joints. Yeah. Right. So what they have to do is learn how to engage their posture correctly in order to control things. And once that happens, the back pain usually melts away. Wow. I would think that a lot of runners' problems, and you're the professional. I'm just the dude that's fascinated by what you're saying. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I would think a lot of runners' issues begin at the pelvis. Is that correct? 
Well, it depends. Okay. So, I mean, if you have chronic ankle sprains when you were younger or sprained you badly your ankle, you have any old knee injuries or surgeries or whatever, they'll begin wherever you've had a history of issues. And this is the interesting thing. I was having an email exchange with a girl and she was saying that she was having some some sciatic pain in her left side. And I said, well, you likely have the side pain problem that I just described yeah. with one pelvis. She says, yes, I have that. I said, well, if you have that, then it's it, then you have some older injury on that side that's causing that pattern to occur in you. She says, no, I don't have any old injuries on that side. I said, well, I'm sorry. Your body's telling me otherwise. <laughs> so uh, you do. You need to think about it. And we went back and forth like two or three times. I said, I'm sorry. I'm not going to budge on my opinion. And you know, even though I, I've never even seen you, <laughs> I know that you've had an older injury on that side. And her next email back was, I can't believe I forgot. I've been dealing with this old hamstring injury on the same side for years. I don't know why I didn't think of that. And it, the reason is, is because... We're so trained to believe that our pain is due to something that's happening right now and not that some, not from something that could have happened 20 years ago, even though that thing 20 years ago doesn't hurt anymore. We're not trained to link those things together. But I can almost guarantee if you're having an issue, it's from some older injury on one or two. It's either a same side injury or you're compensating for an opposite side. Okay, so the patterns of motion. If I give yes. me, if, if I'm getting you right here, this is mind blowing stuff, folks. Buckle up. We're not even half done. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> if only you could see the video. I know. I know. Um, so, so what you're saying is, you know, when you have a serious injury, or even not serious, maybe you, you roll an ankle, whatever, you got a hamstring yeah. injury, it can cause a change in motion, slight change in motion that will continue past the injury that could lead to overcompensating on one side that could lead to yet another injury because your body is still moving in the way or slightly altered the way it's moving to compensate while it was dealing with that injury. In fact, I just was treating uh, via Zoom a physical therapy assistant mm -hmm. who had, he was a marathoner and had chronic left hip pain. And so I was looking at him, I said, something's going on in your right side. You know, tell me about your injury history. Oh, I haven't, you know, some sprained ankles. That's about it. I said, uh, we went through more testing. I said, uh, this is coming from your right side. You're compensating. And he said, no, I'm not. I said, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just love let's just take for a while. I love that you have to you're basically you you have to get people you like you know more about them just by what's hurting them than they know and you fight back and forth with them like no there isn't yes there is no there isn't oh yeah there was that one time <laughs> I see it all the time and so we got off the call the next day we were chatting on the phone and he said you know what I remember when I told you about that, you know, ankle sprain that I had a long time ago on that right side. And I said, yeah. He said, well, you know, ever since that, that ankle hasn't really worked correctly. I said, that's the source of your compensation. So that's why you're having left hip pain. Because the unusual, one of the unusual clues that he gave me was he does better when he runs faster than he does when he's running slower. Interesting. And so what, what that tells me is that the more he has to post on one leg, the more problems he has. Right? Yeah. And so, and I also observed his his 
acres while we were examining. And it, clearly he was, he subconsciously felt that his left leg was stronger, even though it was the painful one. With all the exercises I gave him, he always began with the left leg. And so I'm reading this, I'm just like, something's going on on that right side. And yeah, any strengthening exercise, yes, the left side failed in particular muscle groups, but something was happening on that right side that he was avoiding in almost every single test. And so I, and this is what clued me in. You just have to observe. And once you start observing, this is the key. You know, once you start observing people and learning what your observations mean, you can solve just about anything. And so anyway, I told him, look, I, I told him how to solve the, the right ankle issue. So he's working on that right now. <laughs> just so, that is so amazing. And I think it, it makes perfect sense. You're right. I think we look times, sometimes we look at the body as one thing when it's really thousands of little things all together yeah. working in, in one unit. We're this, we're this incredibly complex machine that has all of these parts working together. And just like any, any machine, if one part starts to fail, other things start to fail. Yeah, don't you think, I mean, we've, we've been trying to help knee pain and hip pain and back pain for so long. Don't you think if there was just one thing that was causing all of those things that we would have figured that out by now? So the answers are as varied as our genetics and our, and our history, you know? So we've got those things matter, and we've got to pay attention to those things and how we move. Are there ways to correct motion? Are there things you can do to kind of reset your body and start moving in a way that's more natural, that it kind of, you know, removes those those subconscious biases and, and uh, changes in motion due to injury? Absolutely. Uh, no one in my clinic, uh, no one who came in with anything like back pain on down to any foot pain got out of our clinic without us teaching them how to walk correctly. Because walking is a fundamental thing that we do. Uh, and that's usually where most injuries uh, are happening mm -hmm. is, is our gait pattern. So we would reteach them how to walk correctly. And I don't care if you're 90 years old or nine years old, we're teaching you how to walk correctly. And once that happens, the correct gait pattern reinforces all the changes that we're making throughout that whole lower body system right? Because that's fundamentally how our body is supposed to move. So when you're talking about movement, that is the key movement because we walk many more, you know, a lot, many, many more hours during the day than we do run. Right. Right. Unless you, maybe you're an ultra marathoner and are running you <laughs> well, know, 12 hour days. We walk during those <laughs> two, but we call it power hiking, Rick, because it makes, yeah. it sounds more extreme. We're, we're power hiking. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, we, we walk far more. So I found that most runners injuries are actually found in their walking patterns. Really? Yeah. You really do have to walk before you can run is what it sounds like. Yeah, you really do. And solving walking solves the running problems. What is the, the biggest... running problems are just manifesting. They're an exacerbation of the walking. Issue. Gotcha. What is the biggest problem you see with the way people walk? Yeah, it's, it's what we just discussed uh, a few minutes ago, locking the knees. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you lock the knees, uh, and this is so common, once you start noticing this in yourself and other people, you'll see how common it is. Locking the knees backwards not only causes the thigh muscles to tilt the pelvis forward and cause the back arch, sometimes symmetrically, sometimes asymmetrically, but more importantly, for, for lower body pain, uh, it turns off the gluteal ma gluteus maximus muscle, the butt muscle. Mm -hmm. All right. 
Well, that butt muscle has a lot of functions. One of them is that it orients our pelvis. Another is that it helps the correct tracking of the hip in the hip socket. A third is that it controls rotation of the thigh bone. All right. So these three things, the rotation of the thigh bone affects both the hip, the knee, and the foot. The tracking of the hip in the hip socket uh, affects both the hip joint, the pelvis, and back pain. Mm -hmm. And the orientation of the pelvis affects back pain, hip issues, and pelvic pain. So that gluteal muscle has a so many jobs. And if you look at the architecture of that gluteal muscle, it's much different than most other leg muscles. It's a short squat muscle, right? That is very thick. And, uh, it's, and it's, it's not a long muscle that you find in most of the leg muscles. Right. It's a short squat one. So that is designed for power. And it's designed to be turned on continually. That's the architecture of the muscle fibers. So if that's not being turned on, then that starts to create all sorts of havoc down the chain. And we can go into much more detail about all of that if you want to, but I don't want to geek out too much for no, people. So <laughs> so the, the gluteus maximus, I bet you a lot of people probably aren't activating their glutes the way they should when they're running. Well, running, actually, they do. Okay. Because running forces the changes that are should be occurring in walking, right, okay. that turn on the glute. So you're missing it in walking. So let's say neurologically that gluteal, gluteus maximus is turned off 90% of the day, and then you run for the other 10%. Well, your hip joint and knee joints and back and pelvis are all unprepared for that sudden change that's occurring in those joints when you're running. So you're setting it all up for failure by how you're walking, which is 90% of the day. Gotcha. So is there a way when you're walking, you're, so you're not locking the knees. So when you're walking, right. you're making sure that your knees are have continue to have a bend in them. Is there yeah. a way to also make sure that you are activating the glutes? Yes, there while is. While you're walking? Of course there is. I figured there was. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, let's, let, I'll take your listeners through it right now. So uh, stand, everyone stand up. And put your fingertips on the meat of your butt. I'm not talking about where the hamstring meets the pelvis. Right. I'm talking about right in the center of the butt cheek where that piriformis muscle is. Okay. Dig your fingers in there and now pinch both of your butt cheeks together as hard as you can. And that's your maximal contraction. First of all, you're going to pay attention to whether both cheeks fire at the same time and to the same degree. Yeah. Get a sense of that. Let's say everyone's is. All right. Now, I want you to relax them completely but I want you to keep your hands right where they are. And I want you to take 10 steps and walk around the room. When you're walking around the room, I want you to notice whether you're feeling any of that contraction happening in your butt muscles when you're walking. Mm -hmm. Likely no, especially if you have chronic back, pelvic, hip, knee, or even foot pain. So uh, now what we're going to do, so let's assume that you found out that you're now that your butt isn't turning on. Mm -hmm. So what I want everyone to do now is go up on your tippy toes and walk around the room. And you should feel that your butt muscles are now turning on. And you won't feel a maximal contraction. You'll feel maybe 5 or 10% of, of that maximal contraction. That's all you need when you're walking, 5 or 10%. So you can feel that while you're walking on your tiptoes. And now keep walking and slowly lower your heels back down to the floor, but continue walking. And you'll notice that your butt muscles are likely continuing to stay on. Interesting. Why? Because the tiptoe walking is teaching you how to walk correctly. So the question really to ask is, 
why is tiptoe walking fixing my walking pattern when my regular walking pattern isn't? What is the difference between the two? Hmm. And I've already talked about one of those differences. Is it changing the way the the pelvis is is tilted? No. Damn it. (laughs) Damn it, I thought it was a pelvis. (laughs) But Ryan, you're so close. Okay. So what walking on tiptoe does, and if you you guys want to walk around the room and feel this, your knees can't lock when you're walking on your tiptoes. You're right. Right? It's, It's nearly impossible for them to walk, to lock like that. So you're forcing your knees to be soft. The second thing that's critical to turn on the gluteal muscles when you're walking is that now when you're walking, your your foot cannot land in front of you without you weight-bearing on top of that foot. For instance, when you walk normally, your foot is thrown out way ahead of you and your pelvis and body are behind you and then mm-hmm. you catch up to that foot. Right. But in tiptoe walking, you'll notice that your body is ri- lined up directly over the foot at foot strike at that moment, which is why your butt is turning on because that is its job. Its job is to is to engage that side of your leg when it's foot striking on the ground, all right? So by having your body catch up to your foot, essentially, and the knee stay soft at the same time, the butt muscle has all the signals to now to turn on. It has a reason to. Yeah. Right? And so when you lower the heels back down, what you've just done is you've, you've maintained that same pattern of walking even with the heel down now. Yeah. Right? Now, that's going to go away again because your normal walking of pat, walking pattern is so strong, right? But if you keep practicing this and pay attention to, oh, okay, yeah. So, And, and you can walk around even with your hands on your butt and try without tiptoe walking to feel your body coming forward with the advancing foot instead of lagging behind the advancing foot. You'll feel that butt turn on immediately. And if you do that all day long, now your gluteal muscles are primed. They are tracking the hip joint correctly. They are controlling excessive rotation in the thigh bone, that, which then extends down into the knee and the foot and controls the pelvis orientation and the back. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the thing that has to happen in order to eliminate chronic pain. So what you're saying is we'd all be better runners, Rick. We'd all be healthier people and less pain if we all just walked around in high heels for a little bit every day. Well, you'd think that would be the case. <laughs> so uh, if, if you send me a video of you running in high heels, Ryan, and tell me that that doesn't hurt, then uh, then maybe I'll consider that idea. <laughs> that is absolutely fascinating. And I bet you find that people will have imbalances. You were talking about making sure that the glutes are firing at the same intensity at the same time. I'm sure a lot of people will find that one fires harder and stronger than the other. How do you correct an imbalance of that type? Yeah, so, well, it all comes down to that gait. But I have another exercise I call the butt pump Mm -hmm. that I use to neurologically turn on that gluteal muscle that's deficient in case there's... uh, So when I say neurologically turn on, What's happened is because your knees have been locked so long, your butt muscle has has become dis- disassociated from your brain. Right. Your brain can't find it anymore. And so because you're not haven't been using it. Yes, you may use it. And, and a lot of your people may say, oh, but I work out my glutes when I'm squatting. Well, your glutes are only turning on after your knees have bent about 20 degrees or more. 
from that zero to 20, they're still off. And that's where walking is occurring. Walking isn't occurring in a squat. Walking is occurring above a squat. So that's why you've got to fix the walk. The squatting or lunging won't do that. All right. So again, like the thigh stretch, I have a butt pump exercise that isolates the butt and helps people really feel what's whether that's working well or not. And so uh, that, I do that. So the way I usually do it is I, I give them that butt pump exercise to get the butt to turn on. Mm-hmm. And then I put a little piece of tape on the backs of their knees to get them to stop locking their knees. Yeah. <laughs> and so, because then when they straighten their knees, they feel that tape pull and they get that reminder. Oh yeah, there I go again, right? So we can't teach proper walking patterns unless we first break the bad habit of locking the knees. That has to come first. I've tried, it just doesn't work. You have to figure out how to unlock your knees first. And then you can walk with your gluteals turned on. Would you recommend walking, like maybe if you're going to go out for a run, whatever you've got, you know, five miles, 10 miles, whatever on your plate, does it make sense to maybe before you start that run, incorporate a, a correct walking warm up? Well, I mean, yes, that does make sense, but it's again too late. Gotcha. If you're just doing it before your run, you've missed 89% of the rest mm-hmm. of your day. Okay. Right. So, uh, and by the way, the reason I, I don't, I rarely change a runner's running pattern. And the reason is, is because running almost it is forcing you to turn on the glutes, right? Yeah. You run with a bent knee. You can't land on your foot being behind the foot. Right. So everything's really lined up really ideally. So any problems that are occurring during running are often occurring because of something outside of running. Gotcha. The incorrect walk. For fail. Yeah. The incorrect walk or whatever old injuries or what have you. How long does it take for you to teach the average person how to walk correctly? How, how, how often do you have to do these exercises before it really sinks in? Two sessions. So the first one is taping the backs of the knees. That's the hardest part mm-hmm. is getting them to break that habit of locking their knees. After And that usually takes about three to five days. Yeah. And then after we do that, they come back and I teach them how to walk correctly. And here, here's the thing, Ryan, a lot of physical therapists complain, oh, my, you know, clients aren't, customers aren't doing their exercises. Well, they're not doing the exercises because they don't work. You know, if they mm-hmm. worked and your clients knew that, they would be doing them. So by the time I teach them this correct gait pattern, they know it works because I've already solved most of their pain by that, by that time. All by the walk. You can just fix All so by much walk. by fixing someone's walk. That is just so incredible. Yeah. And so other things happen. Uh, Remember that side bending problem I was telling Mm -hmm. you about where the pelvis goes higher on one side and the ribcage lower? That's also a gait pattern problem. And so that pattern is manifesting because of some uh, other problem in that same leg usually that your brain is compensating your body for. So we have, we're born with these deep reflexes in our bodies. And one of them is called a a withdrawal reflex and you can watch these videos on youtube if you want where they touch a baby's foot down to a table and it re you know it pulls it away from whatever that yes, object yes was. yeah well it's not just bending its knee or its hip it's contracting it's all of its waist muscles it's uh they're contracting all the muscles along that whole side of their body mm-hmm. and so that's the withdrawal reflex pattern and so when we have old injuries on one side that may have become subconscious, your brain says, oh, you want to run, 
but you've got this old injury. What I have to help you run. And though that's what you're telling me to do. Yeah. So I'm just going to pull you off of that old injury a little bit by lifting up this pelvis, right? So that you're not quite so heavy on that one side. And then that's going to allow you to run. Well, the same muscles that are pulling up the rib, the pelvis are attached to the rib cage and then pull it down as well. And so that's what contributes to that side bending pattern. Wow. <laughs> this is this is so amazing. So so step 1 to bulletproofing your body when it comes to running is walking correctly, learning to walk yeah. without locking your knees and then making sure that once you're not locking your knees, making sure those glutes are activated while you walk and walking correctly. Yeah, so it has to occur naturally though, right? Mm-hmm. You can't walk around pinching your butt cheeks together, right? <laughs> you just look like you have to poop all the time, right? So <laughs> you got to have your walk contract turn on your butt rather yeah. than you turning on your butt. Does that make sense? Okay, so you're saying basically the the just focusing on the not locking your knees will help everything will else kind of do its thing. And you have to bring your body forward with your foot okay. while it's advancing. So your body has to be over the foot at foot strike with the knee soft. That will turn on your butt. So that's what you should focus on walking, not contracting your butt. You can check your butt, but you don't want to say, okay, I'm going to contract because I have to. Right. Rick says I, I need to contract <laughs> my butt. No, I want you to fix your walk. That's what I want you to do. Okay. So don't be walking around looking like you're constipated grabbing your butt. Just right. for, we'll focus on not locking the knees and moving the body over the foot. Yeah. Okay. And if you have a partner, they can grab your butt for you. So. <laughs> right. They, they you, can, <laughs> you can tell everyone it's it's a medical condition. Listen, that, I am trying work. to activate my glutes. Okay. My <laughs> wife is activating my glutes. That's what it all comes down to. Um, do you find in, 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 in your practice as you're helping people to get balanced, and we just talked about the walking thing, which is mind blowing how you really do have to walk before before you can run. Is there anything else that you recommend? Like what what else could could a runner do once they've mastered the walk to you know move that farther along the path of bulletproof? Is yoga a, a thing that helps? Is Pilates a thing that helps? Should they incorporate some sort of of strength training? What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, so everything can help, mm-hmm. and that's why you see on the internet that everything does help, right? Right. right. You, see, you see so many people with stories that say, oh, this solved my pain and that solved my pain and they are two opposite things, right? Yeah. Maybe for the same area of pain. So why is this? Well, it's because um, they have stumbled upon the correct muscle to stretch or the correct thing to strengthen. So really understanding your body is, I, 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 it's, it's the most important thing. So I, I hate to just give broad Right. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, do this one exercise right. and this will solve. So I, I don't want to say that, but there are some patterns that occur. And so, yes, yoga can help a lot. Mm-hmm. And yes, Pilates can help a lot. Yes, strengthening can help a lot. But for instance, if you've got a weak gluteus medius, then, and you're doing knee extensions on the bench, then no, the strengthening won't help you at all. Right. 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 So, you know, all of this kind of, you have to know where your limitations are. One thing nice about yoga and Pilates is that, uh, are you aware of what fascia is, Ryan? Do you know what that is in the body? Uh, my daughter's talked about it, but I, I never made any sense because my daughter is getting ready to go to PT school. So she's kind of into all this stuff too. And she's mentioned it once or twice, but I believe I 
I, I didn't know what she was talking about. Make sure she does not listen to my interview because I will ruin her for PT school. So <laughs> only let her listen to this after PT okay, school. Okay, I promise. <laughs> oh, she'll never pass her national report. <laughs> so fascia is connective tissue, mm-hmm. and it, it holds our skin to our muscles. It holds our viscera together. It, it holds our nerves in place, blood vessels. Everything. It connects everything to everything. And, and so there, it turns out that there are these super highways of fascia that run through the body from the head to the feet. And there's a super highway that runs along the back of the body from the head to the feet. There's one that runs along the side. There's one that spirals down. So this shows us that all of these areas are connected in different ways. So that's how, you know, something on the bottom of the foot can affect neck pain up here is because it's all connected via fascia yeah okay so if we can just imagine in our minds the these super highways of fascia occurring this is the beauty i think of yoga and pilates is because uh they are stretching these lines of fascia along the entire line of fascia for many of of the exercises Mm -hmm. and i'm actually actually uh developing uh, a home program that is actually based on these fascia lines and making sure that they get stretched yeah. properly uh, as they relate to specific injury patterns that I've seen in the clinic. So yoga and Pilates, uh, what they're doing is they're stretching these lines of fascia, but they're occurring, uh, some of those lines may be more important than others. And so I've identified over my course of my career what these important lines are and how best to stretch them, and that's what's going on in, in my upcoming program. But that's why yoga could be really helpful is because they are they're getting the the whole system and Pilates too, and so from a stretching standpoint, and, and frankly, I find stretching, uh, I find range of motion issues in runners more often than I find loose issues. Right? right oh, right. you're too loose. No, <laughs> usually, usually it's you're too tight. So things like yoga and Pilates, I think, are really good solutions for things like that. Especially if you don't have a really good idea of what's wrong with your body. Just start doing some yoga and plies and stretching and, and let the, let the, you know, let the course just kind of take you through these fascial lines of stretching. Mm-hmm. And in terms of strengthening, uh, you know, certainly I, I've never run into a runner whose quads are too weak. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I've never run into a runner whose calves are too weak. Right. right. Unless of course they had, you know, they tore their calf muscle or something right. like that. Right. Achilles tendon. But usually what the problem is, is a, a tightness issue and then also that gluteal issue uh, during gait are the mm-hmm. two big ones. The last thing that that will typically happen is, like I mentioned before, those hip abductors, those gluteus medius muscles, yeah. that's that's a pretty critical one for runners. Uh, and so the way I, stre- I strengthen that is um, you get a little exercise tube and you stand on it with both feet and you hold the tube up like this, yeah. you know, so you're... Your hands are, you know, up at your waist. Yeah. And you stand on one fi- foot and you just move the other foot out in about six inches. Yeah. And the stance, stance needs to be soft, right? Because right. now we know that that's important. But the other thing is, is that the trunk needs to be tall. You can't lean over like this or you can't do things like that. If you're doing either of those things, then those for sure are happening with your running pattern. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. On a more subtle level. And so this is a great way for you to look in the mirror and see what your compensation patterns are while stretching a primary muscle that's helping control the whole pelvis. Wow. 
Another mind-blowing thing. You're throwing a lot at us, Rick. I, I'm loving all of this. One thing we know, and maybe this is not your your area, so you can say, Rick, I'm not, you can say, Ryan, I, I, I don't do this. I'm Rick Olderman. I, I do PT. This is not my area of expertise. But mind and body, there is that connection. You know, We yes. talked about the, the body being this beautiful, complex machine. It is not one thing. It's a whole lot of things working together. Is there mental things is there a, is is there a way to help the brain help the body yes well this is one of the areas of research that i i, I came across in my search for these answers for people with chronic pain so one of one of the problems i found uh causing chronic pain was that some people seem to have a battery hooked up to their body that was causing them to be contracted in the dysfunctional patterns of movement. Mm -hmm. I could break up the patterns of movement, but their brain would cause it to be contracted again yeah. the very next day. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Well, this is when I discovered Hanna somatics. And so uh, I'm just going to go really briefly into yeah. how I came across all this information. So after I became depressed because I was a failure as a PT my first year or two, yeah. I discovered Dr. Shirley Saruman's information. She's a, a PhD PT instructor out of Washington University in St. Louis, written a couple of textbooks, taught a series of courses that talk about movement impairments causing pain mm -hmm. and the bio and the, the biomechanics involving all of that. That was brilliant. And so that helped me a lot. But then the next tier difficulty of patient came along. And that's when I, I had to look for other things that were causing pain too. I stumbled on Thomas Myers anatomy trains, which talks about these fascial superhighways. Mm -hmm. Well, they both identify almost identical patterns that are causing pain, both from fascia and from movement mechanics. But then after, and that helped me, you know, solve the next tier. But then this next per type of patient came up with this battery in their body that was supercharging everything. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And that's what led me to Thomas Hanna. Well, and he, he approaches everything from a neurological standpoint, these deep reflexes in our bodies that are occurring, that are being charged up. Guess what? He identified the same three patterns of dysfunction in his independent research as Dr. Suri Saruman and Thomas Myers. None of the three knew of each other. Really? So all three independently came upon this information and, and, and figured it out themselves. So when I hit Dr. Thomas Hanna's stuff and I saw that it was almost the identical three patterns holy crap i just realized this is it this is what i've been looking for now i've got it from a bio biomechanical a fascial and a neurological you know brain issue and so what they were all missing though was a deeper understanding of what we were doing during the day that was feeding all of these patterns mm -hmm. that were occurring and that's what i've been digging into these past 20 years so that's that was my contribution to this triad of information. So when you talk about what's happening, you know, psychologically in all of this, well, there, there's this battery, it's, it's our brain. And uh, we have these reflexes hardwired into us that become activated and it's difficult to unactivate them or deactivate them. And so the Hanna somatics is something that really short circuits this whole activation pattern. And so, uh, I've created these downloadable home programs and I've created eight audio lessons in those home programs. It's in the members area for these types of people who are in their bodies are locked. They can't get out of it. They're in terrible chronic pain. They're afraid to do anything. 
the HANA somatics are gentle and they are designed to neurologically unlock the body in all of these patterns of dysfunction. So then you then you can go on to fixing your movement habits, stretching, strengthening, all that kind of stuff without hurting yourself. So I'm not going to ask you to give everybody free stuff, but so is it is it some sort of is it a meditation? Is it a resuscitation? Is it a sound wave? What what is the the audio that you're giving these folks that are helping break down those mental yeah. patterns? Well, it is free. If you go to rickolderman.com, if you just pay shipping, you can get a you know, all, all eight lessons if you want to. Oh, bam, but, look at that. But basically, they, they come with all of the programs anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you ended up buying a program after that, well, you just spent for that shipping and handling when you didn't yeah. really need to, but it's really up to you. Yeah. But anyway, what it is, it's it's a, I guide, it's, it's me talking. Mm-hmm. It's like a meditation and yoga session together. But, and I guide you through these particular movements in these particular patterns and teach you how to uh, release the tension in the muscle groups in these patterns of movement. Yeah. And they each last about a half hour long. Okay. Um, yeah. Rick, I, I, you're, you're fascinating me, and I, and I feel like I could take up your whole evening just throwing questions at you. I'm going to give you oh, one fun. more. I want to give you okay. one more before we, we, we part ways because I don't want to sure. take up all of your time. Again, talking about the whole body working as one. Yeah. What about the, the, the gut, the biome, the, the, what you're putting into your body? Has your research over 20 years found that plays a part of it as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, so uh, in this upcoming book that I've got coming out, I, I have a patient story. Uh, about this. I have a couple patient stories about the uh, psychological, emotional trauma and stuff like that that contributes to chronic pain. I also have a story about, uh, you know, this person's journey with things that she was ingesting that were causing her chronic pain uh, really fast. So it, it, it led me, and this is why, uh, you know, you see diet books that fix chronic pain, right? You see psychological, like Dr. John Sarno's mm-hmm. book, you know, great, uh, you know, your back pain is due to some emotional issue. You see books like mine that deal with, bio, you know, uh, biomechanical issues of pain. All of this stuff works. Well, how can it all work? And so I've, I've come up with this unifying theory yeah. about pain. And so we all have a threshold above which we have pain. I don't care where your threshold is, high, low, it doesn't really matter. You go above it, you have pain. I think that there are three primary issues that are contributing to our everyone's chronic pain. One is musculoskeletal issues, like mm-hmm. what I focus on. The other is psychological trauma issues that tend to neurologically lock our bodies in patterns of dysfunction. And the third are things that we ingest, which creates inflammation and you know other things like uh, allergens too, or mold, mm-hmm. are all things that we ingest con- consciously or unconsciously that contribute to our pain. So some people, their chronic pain is 100% musculoskeletal. Some people, it's 30, 30, 30, you know, yeah. and all, all sorts. So by all means, yes, things that we ingest, either our diet, allergens that we're exposed to that we're un, unaware of, mold. I mean, the story in my book about this woman with her mold issues, it was just incredible. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, all sorts of things can contribute to bo- chronic pain, but Really, the message that is is that if you're in pain, it means that something is wrong now. Because if you fix, I have found that if you fix the things now, your pain goes away now. So if you've had pain for 20 years, it doesn't mean it's going to take 20 years to fix it. 
If we find the answer right now, we solve that pain. And so let that, you know, signal be your guide to continue searching. It's not that you're broken. It's that you haven't found the right information yet. And so maybe your information isn't in the musculoskeletal realm, or maybe 50% of your pain is in the musculoskeletal realm, but you've got this emotional trauma mm-hmm. also that you're dealing with that may be contributing to it or, you know, dietary issues. And even if you're not in pain, dealing with all of those aspects you just talked about can make you a better, stronger runner to enjoy running for a longer time. As you say, it will help you bulletproof yourself. Wow. Right. Fascinating stuff. RickOlderman.com. You do have uh, a, a series of books called Fixing You, which work on different aspects, right? Yeah. So I wrote those. So uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Ryan, but I wrote those in response to I had been getting great inform- great results with Dr. Shirley Saruman's information. I became a friend with a PT who was also going through those courses. At the last course, I said, hey, how's it going for you? You know, I said, he said, eh. I said, what do you mean, eh? I'm solving chronic pain with this stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> right. He says, yeah, but I'm a manual therapist. Maybe I'll use it for a home exercise program or something, but not much. And that's when I realized that we as medical practitioners are, are filtering information that we're receiving through a belief system that we have. Mm-hmm. And I realized that this guy's patients were never going to hear or experience the benefits of that information that Dr. Sarman was teaching. And so that's when I wrote my Fixing You series of books to do an end around practitioners and say, look, here's, here's what can help you uh, a lot. If, if you're looking for help, these can help you. But then I, I bought my clinic and I've owned that for about 10 years. And I saw that uh, if you look at my, for instance, my back pain book, you'll see like 80 different exercises. Yeah, yeah. But in my clinic, I realized that the same pattern of dysfunction was occurring in nearly anyone with back pain, sciatic pain, or SI joint pain. So what I realized was that it's the, the pattern was the same in all three people, all three, all three cases. It just manifested, this, that same pattern manifested as back pain in you at sciatic pain in another person and SI joint pain in a third. And it was all based on your maybe genetics or your work history or injury history, whatever exercise. And so that's what helped me simplify the whole approach to solving pain is just to solve the pattern. I don't have to worry about how it's manifesting in you. Just solve the pattern like what you and I have been talking about tonight. That's what my home programs are about mm-hmm. that are on the Rick Olderman site. And that's how they're different than the books. All right. Rick Olderman. More updated. RickOlderman.com, Solving the Pain Puzzle comes out in 2023. Rick, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you for for giving me your time and, and sharing your knowledge and your story. I really do appreciate it. Oh, it's totally fun, Ryan. Thank you. How about that? I told you, right? A lot of things that could change your life in that episode of Adventure Jogger. If you go to rickolderman.com, anything you get at checkout, type in the uh, the the code fixing you at checkout for 20% off. So fixing you all one word at checkout for 20% off. Thank you so much, by the way, for listening to this episode of the Adventure Jogger. Adventurejogger.com is where you need to go for back episodes. There's gear as well. Go check it out and we'll talk to you next week. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. (laughs) 